it's pretty powerful when your heroes become human um, and it doesn't bring them down a level. It actually brings you up to feeling like, oh, I can see myself in there. And, and all of a sudden everybody becomes a superhero. And I think it's important to be honest. And I think you're seeing that more in, in writing, you're seeing it in social media, you're seeing it in the way that people communicate is that, you know, admitting that we're not perfect is pretty powerful. Um, and, and then all of a sudden, you know, instead of me having to keep this really strong exterior, I can say, Oh, that was really hard for me. And, and then I can get it. I can ask for advice. I'm free now to say, Hey, I don't know how to do this. Can somebody show me how to ride a wheelie or can somebody show me or help me do this? And I think it's important we stick up for each other in that way, whether you're a pro athlete or whether you're a mom or, you know, whatever you are a CEO, um, being able to lend a hand to somebody and also be able to raise a hand and ask for help. Welcome to the common threads. During each episode, we'll travel through time to explore the childhoods, influences, and habits of some of the world's leading athletes, industry experts, and entrepreneurs. Subscribe today on Apple Podcasts or your favorite listening app, and visit ProKit, where we bring together the best interviews, podcasts, and articles in a new platform for athletes. I'm your host, David Swain. So I am here with Rebecca Rush. It's going to be a long intro if I try to try to cover it all. So it's it's an impressive and uh, and s- such an inspirational background. So seven-time world champion, author of Rush to Glory, activist, uh, put together the Be Good Foundation, event organizer, and on the athlete side, a progression through sport that is uh, is unlike anything I've seen, from climbing to adventure racing and whitewater rafting and cross-country skiing and cycle cross to, uh, to mountain biking and gravel cycling. And on the side, put together a documentary um, called Blood Road, which won an Emmy Award and uh, chronicled her journey, Rebecca's journey, 1,800 kilometers on a mountain bike adventure across the Ho Chi Minh Trail to find the spot where her father was um, was shot down in Vietnam, um, in Laos, uh, at, what, 45 or so years ago. And so welcome to the show. <laughs> And, Thank you. <laughs> and and uh, I start with a really hard question every podcast. Um, okay. So I hopefully you're warmed up and you did your morning exercises. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so what did you have for breakfast this morning? Oh, well, that's a pretty easy one. I had um, typical rice and eggs breakfast, um, some basil from my garden and uh, and coffee and some beet juice and a dog walk. That's usually, that's kind of my little that's morning your routine. Go-to? That uh-huh. is, that's a good, that's, and, and is beet juice part of every, every breakfast or is that during, uh, your training season? You know, usually I like to drink, you know, drink a few greens, drink some beet juice, you know, take a probiotic. So yeah, I try to start the morning with not just 12 cups of coffee, but yeah. You know, a glass of water and, and some good stuff too. And some, a few supplements and things to start the day off. Right. There we go. And how has your breakfast evolved over the last 10 years? Has it changed or have you kind of been found your, uh, found your sweet spot and been with it? 
I've been, you know, eggs, rice, and avocado are, are pretty much a go-to with some amino acids. That's often my um, pre-race breakfast. And it's also um, sort of, I always feel like I have eggs and rice in the fridge. And, and so it's a really easy, um, low maintenance breakfast to make. And I've never been one who can, can skip breakfast. So I always wake up hungry and, and yeah, so that's a pretty basic go-to that I've kind of always got around. I am with you. I, this intermittent fasting that a lot of my past guests have uh, talked about where they don't eat until one o'clock in the afternoon. I, I don't know how, how they do it. <laughs> um, so let's just talk a little bit about growing up and you know your, your life in the outdoors and like truly exploring the big mountains and, and the backcountry. You started out so in the suburbs of Chicago, so not the not necessarily the typical start for a, a life of of back road adventures. So um, yeah, how, how talk about the progression of you know growing up to finding the love of the outdoors? Yeah, I mean it's a, I mean I found the love of the outdoors as a kid, and I I was a kid who was you know yeah it was suburban Chicago where I grew up um, a little. Uh, sleepy town called Downers Grove. It was pretty awesome. We lived on a brick street, but I was that kid who was in the backyard, you know, digging in the dirt and camping out. Um, I'd ask my mom, like, can I sleep out in a tent in the backyard? And so I was always kind of exploring. Um, and we think that that spirit of exploring, you know, is born with that. And so I was always as a kid wanting to kind of look around and you know, I have to credit my mom because she took us every summer, uh, we'd go camping and she took us, you know, to a lot of the national parks, you know, we just hit the road and pile in the car and, and she'd drive us around to places like, you know, Zion. And I think that appreciation of the outdoors and going places in the summer, I, I really have to credit her with, with kind of feeding that wanderlust that, that I think I was born with. And, and then really I found sport in high school um, with the cross country running team. And that was where that adventure bug was kind of fueled. And it might not seem like in Chicago running cross country was, you know, super adventurous, but to me, you know, I didn't really have any athletes in my family um, and running around in the woods. I felt like a little kid, um, you know, and I still feel that way. So even, you know, decades later, you know, I've been a paddler, rock climber, mountain biker. I still feel like I'm that little girl who wants to see what's over the next hill. And right now the bike is the vehicle that I use for that. But the motivation really hasn't changed to like see how far I can go and, and see what's out there. Yeah. And that like seeing what's out there and pushing yourself and, um, you know, really almost like a, and I don't know if you think about, uh, think of it that way, but like a constant reinvention, um, you know, a lot of athletes stick with their one sport their whole life. And a lot of high school athletes hang up their cleats when they walk out, you know, off the field for the last time and never play again. So your, your, your progression through sport, is that something that you have focused on or is meaning like something where you're like constantly kind of looking for that next goal or is it is it just that you have a wanderlust and um it's you're always kind of looking for that new thing that's a good question um i i would say it's more uh listening to myself and you can kind of liken it to somebody maybe who 
has an entrepreneurial spirit, you know, like you in, in your career, you know, a lot of people choose a career, they go to school for this or that or the other, and then they stay in that path um, for the rest, for the rest of their lives. You're not that way. I'm not that way. And so with my sport, it really, it really has been been an evolution and, and a transition, not because I planned to like, oh, I'm going to master all these different sports. It was more, I was, I was listening to my heart and my soul and kind of what was popping up at the time. You know, there is a common theme of wanting to adventure and, and explore whether it's rock climbing or whether it's on a bike, you know, the tool for achieving that goal might be different over the course of my athletic career but the motivation is still the same. Um, and I think that, you know, you can kind of look at, like, look at your career and compare the same thing. You've wanted to create things, solve a problem for people. And, you know, whether you're a pro kid or somewhere else, um, your motivation is still very similar, even though, though you might be delivering it in a different way. And I look at my athletic career that way is that I've wanted, always wanted to explore and go places and put myself and and really these sports are they're my teacher they're how I learn and how I grow and and it I feel like life is a constant education and you know at the time that you stop learning and growing you know then you're not really going anywhere anymore and and I get the question a lot like why did you do so many different sports and why did you transition so much and um it's because I wanted to you know I, I got introduced to climbing you know by working at a health club in downtown chicago and met a bunch of climbers and was like wow this is really interesting and i and i really fell in love with that for a while and lived out of my car as a dirtbag climber and and that in turn introduced me to paddling and that in turn introduced me to adventure racing and that in turn introduced me to mountain biking and so uh it may seem like a really circuitous and unplanned sort of path but really each one was a foundation building on the other and you know I started as a runner um, and I still run you know um, I've added that that that's still part of my repertoire and you know the bike has now become the main tool for exploring um, but I ski and I swim and I do a lot of other things um, because I, I I don't know varieties of spice of life absolutely um, but really still with that main focus of of exploring and feeding my soul and seeing the outdoors. And, and then it's, you know, transitioned into being able to give what I've learned and what I know uh, through sport back to other people and through my foundation, being able to do good things through my sport. So it's been a cool evolution of getting to explore and do all these things myself, but then also to pass them on and, and share them with people around me. Right. And I want to get into some of the, some of the adventures you've done and talk through kind of learnings and all of that, you know, but I think to start with, um, you know, we're here now in, uh, let's see. So lockdown kind of started in March and it is early August. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. I mean, the evolution that the whole world is going through in such a short period of time. And I think everybody's you know, it's, it's different for each person, for each family, for each business, but we're, it is true, you know, we're all going through it together. Talk about how, how you've experienced it. So you were doing the Iditarod, right? When this all started. Is yeah, that true? we came you- off the Iditarod trail on March 8th 
And, you know, we had been quite isolated with, with, you know, no news or anything while we're on the trail for eight days um, and came out to COVID really blowing up, had to fly home through Seattle. And it was really a culture shock to come out of the Alaskan wilderness um, and sort of that kind of survival and, and really chosen isolation um, to come back to, uh, you know, the forced isolation of COVID and lockdown and, and my husband's, um, you know, full-time firefighter, I'm a volunteer. And so we quickly became immersed into the emergency that was happening around, you know, locally in our community, but, but around the world. And, and so that was a culture shock and, you know, we didn't really get to process what happened on the Ajitara trail because we came right back to this, you know, global pandemic and, and having to get right to work one on the front lines, but also, you know, like most people with COVID, I think we've all gone through these sort of the different layers of, you know, the initial shock and denial and anger. And, and, and then now, you know, months into it really settling into what, what is life now? And, and obviously a lot of fear too, fear of, of our, our world, our own personal health, um, our economic status, you know, um, our world's economic status. So it, this has been a really hard time. And I reflected a lot on the races that I do. And, and I really have come to the conclusion that, you know, I thought I thought I've been training for races all my life. But now I realize these races have been training me to deal with challenging situations in, in everyday life, which is, is really now. And I feel like I'm really drawing on what I know as an athlete to, to try to get through the challenge of, of a global pandemic and, and a health crisis. And things seem easier on the Iditarod trail at minus 40 degree temperatures and self-supported and pushing my bike through the snow. Suddenly that, that seems a lot easier than this unknown path, because I, I really do feel like this is, this is navigating without a map. You know, none of us have ever been here before. And so we're having to draw on whatever life experience we have that to help guide us. And that has not been an easy path. And, you know, we've had to be creative business-wise and also sort of pick ourselves up. You know, it's, it's not, not to be super cliche, but like, we're all a little bit lost here and trying to get our, ourselves found is, is providing challenge. And, and some of the tools I'm using are, are really asking questions of myself, asking questions of, of friends and mentors and people in business that I respect. Um, and ultimately making sure I, what I can control is my, my health and fitness. And while it may seem unimportant in this time to, go out and ride your bicycle. Um, it has, it's been more important than ever for me, for my own emotional, uh, health and well-being um, to actually exercise and get out on a bike. And I think you're seeing that globally is, you know, people are, are finding the outdoors and nature therapy because, because we need it. And the one thing we can take control of in this really uncertain world is, is our own personal wellness. And that's more important than it's ever been in, in my entire life. Yeah. I mean, you said it, you said it really well. I, one of the past guests that I've had on Sarah Fryer, who's the CEO of Nextdoor, she just mentioned, um, I haven't heard this, but Michelle Obama on her podcast was, 
was commenting that basically there's like a the in, you know the entire society has like a low grade depression right now. Yeah. And and I think that's the first thing I've heard that like capture I I haven't been able to articulate like what it feels like and it do, it just feels like there's like a low grade depression over over it's like a blanket. Yeah. And I've done I've been calling friends in different business settings and athletes and kind of looking for you know, are there, cause it's like, like you said, it's like happening in real time. It's, you can't do the psychological studies and you know, yet it's like all happening now. And I'm trying to do this mm-hmm. like qualitative of, you know, are people who are working in big companies, what's that feel like compared to starting a company right now? Like where you're working much more in isolation versus the pro athlete who had their events canceled and is now like trying to reinvent their purpose. Um, and yeah, I think the only consistent is that everybody is in a pretty similar state of like, holy crap, um, what is purpose? How do I find my why when everything has changed around me? Um, and I don't know what it's like in Idaho here in Northern California. Um, you know, when you go out on the trails, um, you're out in nature and I have, I still like, you know, wearing a mask is as a person, you understand the benefit, but as like psychologically, when you're in the outdoors and worrying about pulling up your mask, right? Like there's just this trick, there's all these triggers around you (laughs) right now that can send your brain into, into funny places. So what I'm finding, I think it's important and I'll acknowledge it's a really good point that we really are in a global depression. Yeah. Um, and everyone in every country in in every corner of the world is, is feeling some kind of stress, <laughs> you know, very high level of stress and how we manage that, um, is like I said, more important now than it's ever been. And, you know, sadly, you know, suicide and mental health are, are things that have that have always been with us um, but especially now in isolation and in uncertainty with your economic situation and your health situation of course we're all going to be hurting um, I, I think the only sort of one of the blessings in some way is that that we are all in this together and really no one is exempt from from feeling the pressure and so I think it really is important that we you know, call our mothers and call your friends and, and stick together. Um, because we are all feeling, even if somebody's like, I'm doing great, I'm fine. There is a global depression that, right. yeah. that is, is a cloud, like you said, that is over, over the entire world right now. I mean, you've talked about, you know, through your, through the film and, and I've been really impressed with like, you know, whether you're an athlete or a CEO, there's like the kind of the more, senior you get or the more the more that people look to you for inspiration the old mode was that you had to put your emotions hide them under you know under your shirt and everything was about being tough and looking like you have everything under control and um and your road you you know becoming vulnerable and able to speak about when you know the progression that all of us are on and that there are highs and lows like i do feel like that now for everyone is much more important than ever. You know, what are some of the things maybe that you've, or if you could talk about that progression for you and kind of what you've learned about being able to, you know, talk more about how you're feeling and your emotional health. 
You know, the first experience, and you're right, as athletes and especially professional athletes, we're expected to be, you know, have this exterior that is so, we're so solid. We've got it all figured out. You know, everything's perfect in our world. Everything's great on Instagram or wherever. And, you know, we're expected as professional athletes to be always strong and always, you know, charging ahead, full steam ahead. And, you know, humans just don't operate that way. And sort of the first exposure I got into the power of being honest and and being vulnerable is is when I wrote my book, um, which came out six years ago, Rush to Glory. And I was really honest in there about things like, you know, fear and being afraid of rock climbing and being a lousy mountain biker and, you know, struggling with an eating disorder. And I was really honest about everything. And, and it was cathartic for me, one, to put those words down, almost like a journal, you know, before I was really journaling, writing those stories became a bit of a, a journaling practice. But what I was surprised by is when the book came out is that instead of people being like, wow, she's weak and, oh, she, she's kind of a mess. Um, people really resonated with the vulnerability and with me admitting that I wasn't perfect, I think because they could see, see some of that in themselves and could see that, oh, you could still be a world champion and be scared of mountain biking, or you could you know, be unsure of yourself and, and still succeed. And so that was my first big insight into, you know, that being honest with myself and being honest with the world was actually a more powerful position to be in. Because then all of a sudden, your superheroes or the people you look up to are human and they're like you. And so then all of a sudden you can identify and, and you can, you can take advice from somebody else because they really have gone down that road instead of just being like, Oh, I'm, how could I learn to play basketball from Michael Jordan? You're like, no way, but I bet you he's a great teacher. And I bet, you know, he would say, you know, when I started out as a kid, this is how I did it. And so it's pretty powerful when your heroes become human um, and it doesn't bring them down a level. It actually brings you up to feeling like, Oh, I can see myself in there. And, and all of a sudden everybody becomes a superhero. And I think it's important to be honest. And I think you're seeing that more in, in writing, you're seeing it in social media, you're seeing it in the way that people communicate is that, you know, admitting that we're not perfect is pretty powerful. Um, and then all of a sudden, you know, instead of me having to keep this really strong exterior, I can say, oh, that was really hard for me. And then I can get it. I can ask for advice. I'm free now to say, hey, I don't know how to do this. Can somebody show me how to ride a wheelie? Or can somebody show me or help me do this? And I think it's important we stick up for each other in that way, whether you're a pro athlete or whether you're a mom or, you know, whatever, or a CEO being able to lend a hand to somebody and also be able to raise a hand and ask for help. That's when our world is really gonna, gonna progress is, is when we can all play both roles of you know the mentor and the mentee. How much has that played a role for you? You know, Because being a professional athlete, as long as you have, I mean, from my like outsider view, it's as much in the endurance and outdoor sports world where there's not a playbook. Um, it's as much a lesson in entrepreneurship as in <laughs> being an athlete almost, right? Like, you know, you've building a foundation, running your own event, writing a book, producing a movie, like having all of these things put together. Um, how much has 
asking questions, like getting help, bringing mentors in, like how have you kind of approached those things, the decisions to do them? And then once you're in it and it's something you haven't done before, that process of like, oh my God, I'm writing a book. What does that even mean? (laughs) (laughs) You know, at first I used to think, okay, I'm supposed to have it all figured out. And I didn't, I wasn't very good at asking for help. Um, The book, for example, I co-wrote with Celine Yeager, who is an amazing writer. You know, some people might have said, oh, well, you should have done it yourself. But you know what? She elevated me. I I learned writing skills from her. She kept me on task and we made a great team. Um, The same reason I have an accountant is because I'm not good at accounting. And so I have somebody to help me with that. And and that makes me a better team. And you can look at any of the most successful people in the world and they're not doing it alone. They're doing it with, with somebody else. And so as my business has grown, you know, and just the sheer workload has increased, it's forced me to ask for help from people and, and hire people to, to be part of my team to help me achieve my goals. I mean, I've got all this stuff I want to do, but I, I can't do it alone even 24 hour solo mountain bike racing, which, you know, I did for years and have a few world championships in that, you know, I'm physically riding my bike in a circle around for 24 hours, but there's a whole team, you know, there's a mechanic, there's um, an aid station person who's helping me a crew chief. There's my coach, you know, there are all sorts of people that are, are playing into that role, or you look at any Olympian and absolutely they will say, you know, I didn't get here alone. I got here with my coach and my team and, and everybody else. Hmm. So I think it's the same in our world right now. If we, if we don't actually ask for help, you know, we're not necessarily destined to fail. Nobody is perfect at everything. And you can look at Steve jobs, or you can look at any, you know, sort of successful person who's who's been really amazing and and they had to build a team around them um because nobody is is great at any one thing and the role of an athlete it's really interesting has changed quite a lot and and we are expected not only to win races and be you know at peak physical performance we're also expected to be videographers and photographers and writers and you know content creators um and mentors for everybody else you know there's there's a lot more to it than, than just going out and riding a bicycle. It really is. You, you kind of hit on it. You, you have to be an entrepreneur as an athlete if you want to have a long career. I mean, sure, you could, you could go bike race for a few years on a team and then call it good. But if, if you want to keep doing your job, um, you really do have to be creative and evolve and morph. Um, as the world morphs. I mean, when I started as an athlete, there wasn't even social media. I didn't have to do any of of that kind of stuff. Um, But I wrote stories, you know, and I wrote some things down and those ended up being, you know, shared in a different way. And they ended up being the framework for my book, but it, but it is quite different now. And there's, there's a lot more expectation, I think on not just athletes, but anyone right now has to have a webpage and a Wikipedia and a social media account and has to be keeping up with all of that as, as a way of communication, communications become a really kind of exciting way of keeping us connected, but it, it also is a lot of work. Um, and it's hard to do it well. Yeah. It's interesting. I mean, with pro kit, that's one of the things we've thought about a lot is the weight that is on the shoulders of not just the athletes, but the nutritionists, the coaches, the, the experts out there, um, the pros, the event organizers, you know, there's so many different platforms. There's pressure to be sharing every day. 
and I'm sure most people don't want to be sharing every day. Um, and, and we've thought a lot about like, we actually want the kind of the most important, most meaningful things that are really impactful for you or that could help others. But you've got to curate the information. I mean, just like there's there's so so much much information in the world, whether where, even where you get your news or where you got, and so something like ProKit that's curating it in a way and finding the best of the best, like that's going to save everybody time and energy and effort. Um, yeah. And, you know, I think it's a great idea because, yeah, we couldn't possibly consume everything that's out there right now. No. And the, how do you deal with that? And is that something where we're having the team really helps? I mean, what are the this is getting more tactical, but like, how do you think about you, you know, you, cause we'll, we'll get into this with like your, um, you know, with Rebecca's private Idaho, with the challenge now that you've started, you've got the Facebook group, you've got a new website, um, and you've got all sorts of in- amazing engagement that's happening in those things, like very personal, meaningful conversations that are happening, but that also is pressure to be there and to be present all the time. So how do you, you know, maybe even how do you structure your day so that that stuff doesn't become so all-consuming? Um, well, yeah, it's a good tactical question. I mean, like I said, as the business grows, I need to get help. But, you know, with anything I've launched, whether it was Rebecca's Private Idaho eight years ago, you know, in its in-person format, or the Rebecca's Private Idaho 2020, which is a not in-person format, but it's very intimate and very personal and basically a, a training program together to execute a challenge. All of those things have been motivated by me thinking about what I need and what I like and what I enjoy. And so, you know, launching Private Idaho eight years ago, I was beginning to explore my own hometown on my bike. And I was getting out on gravel roads and finding areas I'd never been in. And I was really celebrating the place that I live and I wanted to show it to people and I wanted to sort of bring the community together to show them these rad dirt roads around where I live and and so what I wanted in exploring and getting off the beaten track I found was something that other people wanted and so in every sort of offering that I've served up it came first for me listening listening to my heart and my soul just like you asked earlier on in this conversation you know why did I transition from this sport to that sport or that sport? I really just tried to listen to myself. And I found that if I listen to myself, chances are a lot of other people have that same desire to explore, to connect, to, you know, have a training goal, to have a community to reach out to. And so I wouldn't say that all of the business offerings or or things I've done are, are selfishly motivated but they generate from a personal need or a personal desire for something and then figuring, well, if I feel this way, then other people must too. So why don't I create an experience where we can, I can meet that need for myself and for other people at the same time. And that's exactly what private Idaho is about. That's exactly what the SRAM gold rush tour. I used to do women's rides. It was exactly how that was launched because I had questions on, I wasn't a very good mountain biker. And I'm like, I don't know how this stuff works. I need people to teach me and I need to teach some people. And so they've all, all the things I've done have been fueled by a personal need that becomes, um, you know, a community need and, and trying to fulfill that together as a group. 
That's so great. And it's, I mean, just being in, so I've been in your, the group for the last uh, month and it's so refreshing to see people going through something together <laughs> rather than, you know, when you start yeah. training for something like last year, I did a couple big gravel events and escape from Alcatraz and I hadn't done many long distance things. So the training load for me just left me completely exhausted <laughs> mentally and physically. And, but being in your group, watching people go through their big training weeks and, you know, the, the just being able to say like, is anyone else feeling this way? Cause I can't like get out of bed this morning <laughs> and knowing that <laughs> right. someone else feels the same way and that you get out of bed and you re take a rest day and you're back at it and feeling, you know, like that being able to ask those questions. Um, it, yeah. And you've got, you know, you've got world-class coaches and sports nutritionists in there and it's really cool to have that all as like one community rather than a whole bunch of separate pieces, which that's the hard part about being an athlete right now is piecing together all of these things, um, in isolation. It's like, right. you know, there's so much content. There's so many people. How do you find, um, you know, the community and the content you can trust. And it's, it's really cool to see what you've done there. Um, it's been so fun to like bring in what I have access to as a pro athlete and the people that I know to kind of offer that up in sort of a smorgasbord to kind of the average Joe or a regular cyclist to have access to a coach, a nutritionist, you know, mobility expert, a PT, um, a brain neurologist. Like, I mean, that's, I don't know. Like I feel really special that I get yeah, access to those people right. and I can ask those kinds of questions. So to be able to let anyone ask those questions, it's, it's so awesome. And I'm with you. I love reading that people are like their highs and lows. And then I share my highs and lows and, and, you know, all of a sudden we're a team and we're not together. We don't even really know each other, but you don't feel so alone when you're like, Oh, someone else is going through this too. What about on the, um, cause it's, it's in some ways it's similar. I mean, I've never done like an adventure race, um, but the, mm -hmm. the leadership and team and bringing people along and managing highs and lows together. Um, it is interesting how you've talked about how each thing you've done kind of builds on the foundation and pieces all of it all pieces together to what you're doing now and tomorrow. So what have you learned on leadership and also just on maybe empathy for understanding your teammate. Yeah. I mean, I mean, adventure racing for those of you who don't know, or don't know eco challenge, they're multi-day, you know, a thousand mile expeditions, um, multi-sport multi-day and teams of four typically with just one female, um, they had to be co-ed teams. And, and so, you know, you're going nonstop with very little sleep for a week to 10 days and swimming, riding horses on foot, navigating. Um, and really that was, you know, absolutely those 10 years of adventure racing were like my master's degree in, in human dynamics and, and how a team functions. Um, and you can imagine when you're lost, you're tired, you're cold, um, you're pissed off, you're hungry. <laughs> you can imagine that the um, sort of your true self really emerges and you've got to stick together as a team. And so you've got to help each other. And that's kind of like I said earlier, you've got to be, most of us are pretty good at giving help and, and lending a hand. And if somebody's struggling, you know, you know, giving a hand. 
Um, many of us are not good about asking for help, you know, and I would find on these teams, I was the only woman and, you know, big strapping 200 pound guy who's tired on day seven and has a very hard time with me saying, oh, I, can I carry your backpack? I'm feeling good. I'll take your pack for a while. Like that's hard position to be in when, you know, you're the strong one or you're supposed to be the strong one. And I really did learn a lot about what motivates people um, when they're down. You know, some people are motivated by tough love. Um, some people are motivated by a hug. Some people want to be left alone. Some people want to be joked to and talked to and diversion, um, tell stories to. And so I really did learn a lot about myself and what motivates me, but um, also about what motivates other people and how different we are in motivation. You know, my some of my male teammates thought that like by yelling at me, like that would motivate me. And I'm absolutely not that kind <laughs> not, of a person. That was not working. <laughs> no, that wasn't working for me. But, you know, I had one really, really powerful experience in, in a race we did in Tibet where, um, you know, I was really struggling with pulmonary edema and we were up around 18,000 feet and just having the worst time. And, and one of my teammates came back and, you know, it's basically on hands and knees trying to crawl at this elevation to get down and, and get some air into my lungs. And, um, three out of my four teammates were way ahead, you know, kind of saying, Oh, you can do it. Come on, suck it up. And, and one of my teammates, Patrick, you know, we're, we're still friends for life. He came back and and all he said to me was, if you need to quit, I'll stop with you. If you need to stop, I'll stop with you. And that was all I needed for somebody to say it's it's okay to quit and I didn't quit that's actually got me up off my knees and pushed me forward to just saying it's okay like I'm with you no matter what you decide to do and that was such a powerful experience I'll never forget it and that made me go forward by saying it was okay to stop and so yeah I have had such a great lesson in in teamwork and you know people ask all the time why do you keep doing these super long things, you know, your nickname's the queen of pain, like, what is that all about? And, and honestly, it's because the trail is my teacher, I learn and evolve on these really long expeditions where I'm physically depleted. I find that that's where sort of my, my heart and soul really comes to the surface. And and I learn who I am, And, and I'm continually learning, which is why when people are like, when are you going to stop doing all this stuff? The answer's never. Um, because I'm, I'm maybe I'm a slow learner, but but I'm still learning about myself on the trail. Yeah. Why don't we talk a little bit about the, you know, you've talked a little bit about listening to yourself, and I think right now with COVID and finding purpose and meaning, and you know, I think you you know you did uh, with Kate Courtney, you guys did uh, that like webinar on kind of finding your why, right? Is that, mm-hmm. it was part of your, so what are some things you've learned that maybe other people could benefit from on, I think a lot of people right now could benefit from going through whatever sort of listening exercise, journaling exercise to, to find your why, because maybe it's changed and with the world changing around you, like what are some things yeah. you've learned about how, how to run that process? Well, and it does change. That's the first thing that I will say to people is that, you know, 
just as our motivation or, uh, you know, how you feel about a certain job or, or something you're doing um, or a sport that you're doing, you know, I'm a good example of that is that your motivation and your why changes. And so it is important to sit and reflect and kind of go through a process. And the first time I really did that was after riding the Ho Chi Minh Trail, after riding Blood Road and coming home, you know, from the biggest expedition of my life and finding the place where my father died during the Vietnam War, um, coming home, just like wondering, well, what now, you know, how, what does this all mean? Is my competitive, you know, spirit gone? Like, what did this journey mean? And, and I spent a couple years really processing what that ride was all about, because it was quite heavy. And I came home finding out a bunch of things, but also feeling a little bit lost because for years I just, you know, I've been a racer. I've been a, you know, go to this race, go to that race. Um, and so I really, it was the first time in my life that I really did explore my why. And the process I went through is I thought about all of the pivotal moments in my life, you know, all of the, you know, moving into my truck or getting this job or going to this place. Um, I thought about all the things that had happened to me that were pivotal moments, good and bad. And then I wrote down, you know, what were some of the similarities and what were things that were, that were, was there a pattern in each of those? Um, and, and grant you, this was a two-year process for me to come through this, but by reflecting on sort of the big pivotal moments in my life, looking for similarities between all those, I was able to actually, you know, piece together and articulate rules that I live by kind of and and a mission statement really um and that has become now my guiding principle and my why but it takes you know it takes a process and every business any business that you work for will have a mission statement and will have um have their value statement of what they stand for and what their mission statement is very few people have that for themselves and so that was kind of the exercise I did for myself. And, and yes, my business is actually tied in with who I am. So it really has helped serve me in my work as well. But personally, I can just go back to my mission statement and be like, well, why am I doing this? Why am I working so hard? And it is really helpful on days that are really challenging or really suck to be like, well, you know, to look at that Facebook group and read somebody else's why and be like, well, yeah, that that's why I'm doing this. And so I would encourage people to go through the practice of, can you build your own personal mission statement based on looking back in history? Cause our history is our greatest teacher. You know, what are the things you've done that have been so awesome and, and what were the patterns or the things that you've done that weren't so awesome and what were those patterns and, and build a mission statement and, and kind of, your why and your purpose, you know, and I talked to a friend of mine who, after we had that interview with Kate Courtney and Amber Neben on defining your why, she's like, well, I feel like my, my why for riding, it just isn't that big of a deal. And I'm like, well, what is it? You know? And she's like, well, I just feel better as a person. When I ride, I feel like I'm a better mom and I'm better at my job. I'm like, are you kidding? That's the best why ever. Like, that is plenty big enough. And she's like, yeah, but I don't have a foundation. I'm not doing this. I'm not doing that. I'm like, you being a good person and feeling good and being a good mom, you know, that's a really important why. And so it doesn't have to be some global, 
you know, save the world kind of statement, because honestly, if each individual person were, were, was the best version of themselves, then we wouldn't need to save the world. <laughs> We'd be doing it ourselves one by one. Um, and that is a big part of why um, I work as hard as I do with my business with RPI Challenge is that I do believe when people take control of their physical and emotional health, they are the best version of themselves. And that is, has a, a snowball effect to all the people around them that they touch in their world. Can you share some of what your, um, you know, how, how you think about your mission statement? Yeah. So it's, it's, it's laid out in, in a series of equations and then with a mission statement. So, um, yeah, my, my sort of rules of engagement are, um, risk equals reward, passion equals payoff, give equals get less equals more. And then my actual mission statement is to continually inspire and challenge myself and others to be good. And be good are the words that my dad wrote, wrote in all of his letters home from the Vietnam War, um, two simple words. And those really have become, that's the name of my foundation. Um, and that's the, the short version of my mission statement is, is to be good. That's awesome. Very it's good. Pretty easy, you just inspired but, but it me. Took, it took <laughs> like years I... <laughs> to define that. It took years of really thinking about it and writing it down and distilling it. And as you know, like editing and like the biggest concept is hard to put down in, in five words or so, you know, um, yeah. and, and it's a process. And so, yeah, it and I can go back to that now. And when I'm lost, which we're always lost, you know, these are basically my, that is basically my trail map. Now my life's trail map are those words. Can you talk about less is more and what that means to you? Yeah. And I, that was the fourth one that I added in, yeah. um, after I added that in after blood road film tour, where I was touring around sharing this super powerful film, you know, total strangers, you know, in tears, hugging me, families that were healing from seeing the film. And I was, I was giving a lot of myself. Um, and, uh, and that was really sacrificing my own personal health and wellness, um, by giving so much to everybody. And, you know, you see it a lot in, in, uh, nonprofit, um, executive directors and there's, there's burnout if you give too much of yourself. And, and I came up with less is more because, you know, I want to do all these great things. I want to do all this stuff. I have all these ideas, you know, I want to share with everybody. Um, but not at the expense of my own personal health and well-being. not at the expense of my family and time with my husband and my dogs. And I had a sort of a real realization, you know, after the film tour that, I was giving too much away and that I had to spend some time rejuvenating and rebuilding myself so that I could give back. And I mean, it's just like a training program where you've got to take rest days. If you just work hard every day, you burn out. Um, and so less is more is really about the rest and rejuvenation that I need personally. Um, and that I can't do it all that I have to do the things that I'm going to choose to do um, the best I can. And that I have to say no to some things and saying no is really hard um, yeah. for, for me and for a lot of people, but I found I was eroding, eroding other parts of my world that I know my dad wouldn't have wanted me to do 
and I didn't want to do. Um, I didn't want to sacrifice myself to give back to other people. And so I had to find a different kind of balance there. Yeah. And how do you, so looking, you know, you could look one year out or five or however you, however you kind of think about the future. But um, when you think about mapping it to kind of your personal goals across sport and, you know, with your community that you're building, um, what's on the horizon? You know, that's a hard, you know, that's a hard question to answer. I know that what's on the horizon is, is being active and being outdoors, um, sharing what I know with other people and, and continuing to build the foundation. So it's ultimately, I mean, in that mission statement, continually, continually challenge and inspire myself and continually challenge and inspire other people to be good. And so there has to be that those two parts of the equation, me and other people, you know, if it's just me and I'm inspiring myself and doing all this cool bike packing stuff and all this great stuff. And I'm the only side of the equation. It's just, it's not that great. You know, it's, we all know it's a lot more fun to share something with other people and celebrate something with other people on the flip side. If I'm only giving to other people and, and, and not feeding myself, um, the equation doesn't work either. So, so it's a, it's the purposeful mission statement and that includes me and uh, some what you might call selfish behavior or, or personal things but also that it has to be shared um at some point too or or it does just become trophies on you know right on the wall in my office you know they're, they're not that much fun if i don't share that around um so i know in my future there's i'm really excited about the prospect of this new format for rpi that is this online community and where people can come together and execute and build a ride wherever they are um, that mimics private Idaho. I'm, I'm super excited about that because I'm seeing what's happening and how it's bringing people together. But I think longer term, when we can get back together for large group events, I'm really excited the prospect of RPI being an in-person event and a global event where we can have this kind of a program running at the same time and, and reach even more people and, and have an even bigger community. So I'm excited about being pushed to, during COVID, being pushed to design this new way of having an event. But I also feel like it will mesh really nicely with in-person events when we can have those in the future too. So I'm excited about that prospect. There's probably another book in my head there. <laughs> um, there's an audio book that I need. I need to read my book my first book, um, and get it on audio version. Um, but yeah, I've, and I have some really, you know, fun bike packing goals as well. And, and I have signed back up for the Iditarod, um, thousand mile. I've only done the 350 in Alaska and I, I did sign up for the thousand miles. So if that can happen in 2021, I will attempt, um, to complete that. So I, I have some big expedition goals that on its own. Cause I listened to your podcast with rich roll and you were talking about how you're not a big fan of the cold. So, um, no. yeah, so that signing up for a thousand miles and negative 20 degree, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. that's bold. That is, it is bold. And I, you know, people ask, well, why, you know, why did you, why do you have to really go? I mean, for me being in cold environment is absolutely not, uh, it really scares me. And I realized I hadn't been committed and scared in a number of years and I needed to that risk equals reward. I I hadn't really, I mean, I've done hard stuff, but I hadn't done anything since blood road that was really felt risky and committing. Um, yeah, you know, and like I said, with the adventure racing, you know, when, 
you, when you're really committed to something, you, you do rise to the occasion. And that's where we are with COVID as well. People, you're seeing people really rise to the occasion and redesign their businesses, find a way to make it work. And yeah, um, on that note, we're all on, having to rise to the occasion right, right now. Yeah. On the, because um, you've seen how so many different types of outdoor events and adventures have come to be through the eco channel, like the adventure racing you know, now on the gravel and adventure cycling side, what are some of the common threads of these kind of, I don't know what to call it. They're almost like new movements, but then they become really popular and people come in and they change and they're constantly evolving and people try to hold on to the, what they were. And, you know, which is because they've got a strong community. There's like always this, um, I was really into BMX as a kid and I just saw the evolution that that went on in the eighties. And, yeah, what are the what are the common threads of these new kind of outdoor adventures? And are you more on the side of hold on to what keeps them pure or let them evolve? Like, you know, because it seems like every kind of sport has that question underlying it once it becomes popular. Yeah, I mean, that's a super good question with, you know, with gravel in particular, you know, gravel sort of was started as this like, exploring and gravel less travel and getting off the beaten path and you know a little less structured um than than typical road racing and most of the events still still feed that kind of exploratory feeling but yeah you're getting the explosion of of gravel races where there's thousands of people coming and and all of a sudden it's it's not that (laughs) It's not yeah, that there's world isolated, tour pros you know, coming straight off their team. Yeah. Onto the yeah, I mean, road. yeah. Pro roadies yeah. coming over right. and, you know, and now like UCI is looking, is sniffing around and you're just like, Oh my gosh, what's going to happen with this. Um, so there's, there's a couple of things. One, when new people come get involved, it's up to those of us who are here to educate them, you know, and there's a ton of new trail users. Now there's a ton of new cyclists and hikers and people out there. And a lot of people don't really know the etiquette. They don't know what they're doing. They don't, you know, came across somebody the other day, had like a trail altercation and actually got yelled at of, of like, you know, well, hikers have the right of way and no, this person has the right of way. And we actually sat and we, stood there six feet apart and had a conversation and I sort of educated this person on well this is typical trail etiquette if somebody's riding uphill or you know uphill has the right of way and you know I could have just ridden by and gotten all pissed at that person Um, but I think it we do have a responsibility as new users are coming they have a responsibility to learn the party that they're coming into but also, you know, we can educate people on trail etiquette and join your local, you know, trail organization, your IMBA group, because there are going to be more people out camping and doing everything. And so we might as well give them the tools to do it properly. Um, and gravel's kind of the same way, you know, like when Ted King first started coming into gravel, he called me up and it was great. And we, we had conversations about how it should work and should I wear a hydration pack? And what is the scene that I'm coming into? And I really appreciated that he asked, instead of just coming into the party as a roadie and assuming it was going to be road racing, um, he asked questions and was like, well, what's the scene here? And, 
he's an example of somebody who has, has come into a new genre of cycling um, that he was excited about and he, and he didn't try to change it. And here he, he now has his own events and he's designed what he calls mullet protocol. Right. So, I love it. you know, yeah. it, which is amazing. Yeah. Business, you know, the, you can race it in the front and then there's a party in the back. And so, and as long as people know that that's what they're coming into, then there's no confusion. And so I'm excited about the growth of cycling. I'm also excited, you know, with gravel is that I have the right and the authority um, and the power to make my event however I want my event to be. And, you know, there's a different landscape at each race that you go to. Each one has a different personality. So if somebody wants a more racy aspect of a race, they can go to one that suits those needs. If somebody wants you know, a little more exploration, um, maybe a little bit rougher trail, maybe some mountain bike single track, you can come to private Idaho. Um, and so people can choose, you know, it's just like choosing what restaurant you want to go to. It's all food and you're all eating it, but it's a very different experience if you go to McDonald's versus going to, you know, a French bistro or, right. or something different. And so that's the best way that I can describe it is, is each, each event has, has a personality. And I think that's great. As long as, you know, the rules of engagement are clearly defined. And as long as the people coming in adhere to those and bike packing is the same way. There's a lot of people going exploring on their bike and adventuring and they're asking questions. And there's some great resources like bike packing routes and, and other things where, where people can educate and find the route. And the common theme with all of these is that these types of cycling that are getting popular is that people want to go exploring and they want to get off the beaten path. And I think that that's amazing. And if they just need a little education on what to carry, how to use a garment, how to navigate, um, you know, I'm happy to help share what I know um, to get people out there. You know, it's part of what RPI is about. It's part of what Rush Academy is about is, is giving people the tools to go out and, you know, safely and happily have their own adventures. Yeah. Why don't we close out a little bit on kind of, we like to call it your kit. So pro kit was deliberately named not to embody like your gear kit, but like, what are the things that you have in your kind of mental, emotional, physical kit that keep you going and striving to reach your potential. Um, so maybe we can just go quickly kind of down the list. I mean, some of these could, each one of these could be its own hour long podcast, but um, <laughs> easily. <laughs> um, but on the, we'll just start on the, on the training side, you know, and you've got, you know, with the community you've built and the questions you see people ask, like, what are the things when people are just you know, trying to go up a level and maybe pass a roadblock or, you know, get into a new sport. And, you know, what are some of the things on the training side that are kind of foundational to you that you've learned? On the training side, it's consistency. Yeah. 100%. You know, if you get your butt out the door five days a week and, and just be consistent. Um, that's going to go a long way, a lot more than like cramming it all in on the weekend or having one huge 10 hour ride. And then don't, you don't do anything the rest of the week. So even if you have 45 minutes a day, half hour a day, be consistent and do something. And that's going to go a long way towards increasing fitness, but also just lifelong, you know, 
lifelong health and wellness um, and longevity as a human is if you're consistently, you know, moving your body every day, a teeny bit more every day. And, and the second thing I'd say is forgiveness. You know, you miss a day. It's all right. You know, even as a pro athlete with a coach and a training schedule, I probably hit about 80% of what my coach asked me to do sometimes less. I rarely hit hundred percent. Um, we're just not perfect. People are not perfect. And so forgiving yourself, if you, you missed a day, you had a lousy workout, you, you missed two weeks, whatever it is, um, that tomorrow's a new day and you can start fresh every day. And on the longevity side, are there things that you've learned or incorporated that have allowed you to keep going at the level you're at? Yeah. I, um, people underestimate, uh, rest and sleep. Um, that's your magic pill is, is sleeping better. And if that means getting an eye mask, getting a great mattress, turning off digital items, you know, after dinner, you know, people are always looking for what supplement they can take that'll make them be faster or better, or feel better. And, like and sleep, sleep. <laughs> is that supplement that you can add to your life. So that really is the magic pill. Um, and you know, I'm 51 and I'm like, I told you, I had just had a PR on, on, um, trail Creek hill climb invested my time from 20 2013. And so, you know, I'm living proof that if you, if you rest better, um, have consistency and then also the, you know, stretching and mobility are things that you can't let slide. Um, you know, as you go through your life, you know, maybe what you could do in 20 at 20 years old and get get by with, you're going to be stiff and sore and not moving as freely the next day if you don't stretch a little bit. And on strength training, are there, mm -hmm. do you incorporate that much throughout the year? I do. And I do a lot of, um, I call it my strength training regime is, uh, moving things that need to be moved. Um, so instead of moving a lot of weights around a gym that you just put right back where they were, um, you know, I'm on the fire department. Um, I chop wood, I garden a bunch. Um, and I, I have a little bit of equipment at home, you know, but I believe, you know, pull-ups, push-ups, you know, kind of the basic meat and potatoes, um, and then chopping some wood every once in a while or moving right. some furniture, those things go a long way. I mean, and, and it's, it's functional, you know, functional mobility and strength instead of doing a, you know, a hundred bicep curls, could you pull somebody out of a burning building, you know, or could you do something that needed doing like is kind of the best way I can, right. That makes sense. I can explain it. Yeah. So yeah, for anybody who doesn't, um, have, a like a little fire pit in their backyard, get some logs, get an ax, get a fire pit and chopping wood is actually really good, really good exercise. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, we all have. The, I also, though, I do a lot of different sports. So I cross country ski in in the winter, and so I'm getting a lot of upper body strength from pulling and you know doing that kind of stuff as well. Yeah, um, that's great. On the mind side, are there things mm -hmm. that you do as part of like a daily or weekly practice? Yeah, I'm a big fan of Headspace. I discovered that after Blood Road as well, and Headspace is a um, a meditation app. And I'd never really meditated or I tried it and I basically would fall asleep or, you know, just wasn't any good at it. Um, and what I really like about the Headspace app is that it makes it really easy. I mean, you can select five minutes a day and just spend time 
so, and you know, and it's guided. And so you're like, I don't know how to do this. Um, but it's actually really easy and it, it really does calm my mind. And what I find now is that, you know, I can access that kind of breathing or those sort of techniques. If I'm stressed in the line at the grocery store or, or I'm out on a bike ride, or you took a wrong you know, turn really at, the, been... at the Iditarod and <laughs> lost a couple exactly. hours. <laughs> exactly. I mean, so it's not just that 10 minutes yeah. that you sit there being still and being quiet and thinking about your breathing. Um, it, it actually really does carry over into your everyday. And I feel like there's been a real calming effect that, um, and getting to know my body a little better effect that I've gotten from meditation. And, and again, I'm not perfect. I don't do it every day. Um, but it has been a really cool tool that I, I really enjoy. Yeah, I am with you. And what about on nutrition? Yeah, nutrition has morphed. When I was adventure racing, I used to believe that, you know, we're doing so many miles all day long. Like I was a big fan of Cheetos and Swedish fish. And I felt like if I'm doing this much work, I can eat whatever I want. Um, and I've evolved my nutrition program and basically it's, it's fuel, you know, garbage in, put garbage in you're going to get garbage energy out and so I've gone away from you know we eat a lot less processed food or packaged food in a package Um, my husband's a hunter so all of our meat is organic I'm growing a garden now and make bread Um, I think a lot of people are getting into that stuff but it's so easy to make good choices even if you don't have a garden or, or those kinds of things so I make a lot more smoothies now for breakfast, you know, mix, and that's a real easy way to mix in, you know, greens and beets and, you know, all those kinds of foods. And I try to drink more water. I find I'm not very good at drinking enough water. That would probably be the second magic pill beyond sleep that I would recommend because it really is your filtration system and there's a lot of good things. And gear. So this could be a six hour podcast, but, um, <laughs> on i've always been the more pro the athlete i always feel like it's a respect for the gear but doesn't replace the consistency of the working out (laughs) it's not that and i you know what are the maybe we'll just pick one so so bikes because you do a lot of sports but the um you're getting ramping up in cycling you go into your first event or you're going to your 10th event and you want to perform better um, what are the, what's the thing that you kind of focus on, on, on the bike, if you're going to focus on any. I, I would say with gear, there's, uh, you know, a lot of times new athletes are like, oh, I, I don't deserve like a really nice carbon bike or a high end, you know, drivetrain or whatever. And I would say, you know, to purchase the best equipment that you can afford, um, because equipment really does make a difference. And I'd love to say, you know, it's not all about the machine, uh, but you're just going to have so much of a better experience if you're on a a well-built lighter bicycle that, that fits you. Um, And so, you know, if somebody's getting a new bike fit is super important. I made this mistake early on as I bought a bike from somebody and it seemed like a good bike and it didn't fit me and I didn't have a good experience learning to mountain bike. And then when I got on a bike that fit me, I was like, oh, oh, this is a lot easier. Um, so I would encourage people to, you know, invest in the best equipment you can. Um, if you're really, you know, going out adventuring, um, getting a Garmin um, navigational device and learning how to use it is, is such 
a powerful tool to know where you're going. It's like, you can imagine if you're riding in a car with somebody and you're the passenger and you're just kind of looking out the window going along, you know, that's fine. But if you're in the driver's seat and you know where you're going and you're like, ah, we're going over this next hill. I'm going to show you where we're going. That, that is, that knowledge is so much power. And so, you know, I would encourage people to educate themselves about your bike, about where you're going and about trail maintenance, um, because there's so much power in knowing how your equipment works and feeling like you've got a handle on it. Last one on the bike. So tire pressure, <clears throat> how do you think about that? <laughs> Um, I think tire pressure is probably the number one thing that can affect your ride quality. And it's probably the biggest thing that people make a mistake on. Um, Envy, Envy Composites has a really great graph of tire pressures. Um, most people run too high of a tire pressure and it just makes for a really, really rough ride. Um, and Envy Composites, they basically take into account the width of your rim, the width of your tire and the body weight of the rider. And you really can just go through that graph and start at like, oh, I'll start at 23 PSI or I'll start at whatever it is. Um, and typically people run too high of a tire pressure and it makes for a very unpleasant ride. So if you're not checking your tire pressure, you don't even know what we're talking about. You couldn't say what your PSI is. Um, that would be the first place to start with whatever equipment you have. You don't have to have NV wheels to go on, use their chart. That would be the very first place I would start is to adjust your tire pressure. Mountain bike and gravel, most people run too high of a pressure. All right. We will link to that in, in the article. <laughs> that, <laughs> it's funny. It's one of the things that takes the longest to figure out. Um, and that graph. Yeah, but like you just start with the graph. Yeah, no, and yeah there it's you not go. a big deal. And yeah, then, just go yeah. to the graph. All right. There you you just solved it for everyone. Um, <laughs> and um, last is reading watching listening to watching this is kind of funny i've actually been watching um queer eye lately i don't know if you know that tv show i've heard of it it's i haven't seen it but it sounds fun it's funny it's hilarious it makes me laugh it makes me cry um and it, it's actually a really interesting social experiment yeah so that that's been kind of fun to watch lately listening to i've been listening to a lot of tool lately um fear inoculum uh that's the album and actually a lot of tool in general uh and let's see and they actually talk about the end of the world or the end of the <laughs> earth so hopefully um, there's right. a really good song yeah. invincible in there that if any athlete out there if you haven't heard that song it's it's worth a listen and then uh, uh, reading, actually, right now, I don't have a book on my bedstand, and I need to. So if anybody has a book recommendation out there, um, because I have made a commitment that I'm going to stop looking at screens after dinner to help with my sleep. My coach, Tim, says no more blue screens after dinner. So I need a book. All right. We will, so we will I'll take find recommendations. You a, we will find you a book. Um, <laughs> awesome. Cool. Well, this was, this was great. And, um, thank you for all you do and sharing it with us and the world. Um, we all need it right now. So, um, yeah, thanks a lot. And we'll see you on, um, where can people find you? Where's the best place to go? Um, at Rebecca Rush, R-U-S-C-H are my website and social handles and on ProKit. I'm up on ProKit now, which is cool. So you can find me there too. Very good. 
All right. Well, when is the Rebecca's Private Idaho challenge officially? What's the date for the... Yeah. So if anyone wants to get involved, um, registration is open um, and we have about a month left of training and preparing and the actual ride will ride days will be depending on what what ride distance you do. But um, September 4th, 5th and 6th are when we are all doing a global ride challenge. So if you want to go on Rebecca's private Idaho.com, you can get all signed up. Um, and there's tools on there to design your route. You can connect to the community. And the super exciting thing too, is that RPI has always been a fundraiser through the Be Good Foundation. And this year, um, all of the RPI fundraising efforts we're doing are targeted towards programs that are um, increasing diversity, inclusion, and equity in the cycling industry. And so we've partnered with some really cool organizations that are getting more people on bikes who didn't have access to them before. So um, if you wanna ride with us on Labor Day weekend, Rebecca's Private Idaho, you can get all signed up and uh, we'll just get more people on bikes. All right, more people on bikes, there we go. Yep. Party on a Monday, (laughs) (laughs) we'll talk to you soon. All right, thanks for the chat, be good. We hope you enjoyed this episode of The Common Threads. If you liked the show, please tell your friends and followers on social media and encourage them to tune in. You can also leave a rating or review to help new listeners discover the show on Apple Podcasts or whatever service you're listening on. Or send me feedback directly on Twitter at David underscore Swain. And then head over to join our new platform for athletes at theprokit.com.